Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. Well, folks, we have three stories today. The situation of the Ukrainian-Russian border and Russian internal affairs, including Biden's sanctions on Russia. Biden announcing the withdrawal of all troops from Afghanistan after 20 years of the war. And finally, we have the story of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine being temporarily paused by the FDA. Russia and Ukraine, the Crimea in 2014, take over that part of Ukraine by Russia. And now we have uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine literally going to the tunnels because Putin is amassing forces on the border because it's Putin. Not to mention President Zelensky was also filmed running from gunfire on the front lines of the conflict. I actually have a friend in Ukraine who lives fairly close to the border, and she said she was scared, frankly. You know, the prospect of renewed conflict between Russia and Ukraine is scary, considering they both have relatively modern armies, and they can really do a lot of damage to one another. But the truth is, this conflict is a distraction for Putin, I think, from the fact that, first of all, Navalny's movement is gaining more traction, even while he's in prison, where he's currently leading a hunger strike, and he's hospitalized for it. The world needs to pay more attention to Alexei Navalny, the opposition leader, the only man that's really been able to really shake Putin's confidence. And unfortunately, Biden did not address Navalny at all when he announced the sanctions. So update. As I'm recording this on uh, Sunday morning, Eastern Standard Time, Navalny could die at any moment and might be dead by the time you're listening to this. Doctors currently say that he is at risk of heart and kidney failure and needs to be in intense medical care now. The Russians are not allowing that to happen. So that's why I'm really angry that Biden has not addressed it. He did go after, you know, the SolarWinds hack on uh, several institutions like Microsoft and the Department of Homeland Security and as well as interference in 2020 election. But yeah, no, no mention of Navalny, not a lot of mention about Ukraine. But the truth I, is, I think the reason, a reason why Biden may not have mentioned Navalny was because Navalny's uh, racist past still continues to plague him. Everybody knows that. You know, in his youth, he went to a lot of nationalist, you know, gatherings and ethnically white Russian gatherings, uh, stuff like that. And, you know, I, I can't speak for whether Navalny still believes in that, whether he's moved past it, but it's going to keep plaguing him. Russian media definitely keeps on hitting him on those things. So that's definitely going to haunt him. And that's maybe why Biden didn't mention them. Okay, fair. But, you know, let's go over the sanctions. Okay, let's go over what did, what what was announced. So, the usual fare for this kind of stuff is, is expelling diplomats and intelligence officers from, you know, the embassies and whatnot. That's that's fairly normal. Trump administration did it. Obama administration did it. Like, you know, this is normal. And then there were a lot of the real thing that I, I believe is really good about what Biden did is an executive order. In that executive order, it bans U.S. companies and financial institutions from trading in Russian debt bonds. So a lot of countries, you know, to get money for uh, domestic spending and whatnot. They issue bonds to citizens and you know foreign nationals who and institutions that want to just invest in the country. The U.S. in particular is very reliable despite recent events because it's a very you know you you can trust they're going to give you your money back after that period of time with interest. So here's the thing: Russia is not as stable. The ruble, their currency is a dumpster fire. Their whole government and economy are built on this oligarchical mob. 
that's consisting of shaky alliances between oligarchs and Putin. And not to mention that Russian spending is all over the place. A lot of foreign interference, a lot of military, not a lot domestically, not really good with good infrastructure. And at the recent, you know, democracy protests, we are going back to Navalny. That's a recipe for disaster. And so, yeah, for sure. There is essentially an oligarchical system where men all by themselves essentially own entire industries, you know, going back to the privatization of the Soviet Union's industry in the 90s. But while, you know, the economy may be extremely unreliable, politically, Russia is reliable for the reason that Putin has just extended his terms as president. And not to mention, he still maintained extremely high popularity among the Russian people, which keeps Navalny's movement in the minority. And even then, Putin keeps such a firm grasp on politics and power that uh, Navalny, democratically speaking, could never even have the slightest chance of getting power in any form. But as you mentioned, Navalny's movement and their very weak currency and the fact that they really haven't been building on their industry for many years, it's, it's creating an extremely bad bond market for Russia. A lot of uh, analysts have said that Biden, this is a good first step because Biden is similar to Russia is going to turn up the heat if necessary. This is a first step and he's only going to go higher than that. He is ready to take extensive action, not militarily, but, you know, economically and uh, diplomatically against Russia. And uh, former ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul, he, he talked about how uh, Biden needs to invite uh, Zelensky, the same Ukrainian president who's, you know, you said Joshua uh, had to avoid gunfire you know, a uh, uh, Russian border. Like he needs to buy him to the White House and unite NATO, unite Europe, unite the world around Russian interference, around Russian aggression. You know, Putin must be confronted and Biden is a key player in international politics for for decades, going back to signing the Senate Foreign Relations, Foreign Relations Committee. So he needs to get a coalition to counter Putin, not necessarily militarily, but, you know, economically and, what, and whatnot. Because unlike China, Russia is a lot less embedded in, you know, geopolitics and the world economy. This week, President Biden has announced that all U.S. forces, uh, roughly, I believe, 2,500 soldiers, will be leaving Afghanistan by September 11th, 2021, exactly 20 years after the 9-11 terrorist attacks and four months after the original deadline and Trump's deal with the Taliban. The truth is the conditions for withdrawal aren't ideal. And the truth was they never were ideal because fighting the Taliban in the mountainous country of Afghanistan is extremely tough. Britain's failed, Soviet Union also failed at it. Afghanistan is just a really hard place to control and keep forces in. And frankly, we've been in Afghanistan for way too long, the longest war in our history. And I'm remembering how, you know, we left Iraq in 2011, but we had to get reinvolved in 2014 because of ISIS and other terrorist groups in the region. And I really hope that the Taliban does not make a strong comeback in Afghanistan, which will in turn will make us come back and fight them again. But I like the choice of date for withdrawing the troops, you know, 20 years after the infamous attack. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going back and forth on this. For context, this literal 9-11 deadline, that is four months after the original deadline in the Trump deal with the Taliban that didn't include the Afghan government, the U.S. built as part of the nation building effort after the early 2000s. And I just, I just want to point out that the media has been actually really hypocritical at this front. When Trump announced the deal, when, you know, the same full troop withdrawal deal, except you know, it was in May instead of September, the headlines were all about how there was everyone was so concerned about the stability in the country and the military and what was going to happen. And now that Biden's done it, it's all about ending the war on a symbolic note, you know, with the 9-11 date. But it just goes to show that things are not always fair and balanced. Just to get back to your point, Joshua, 
on one hand, it is a forever war as, it, as it's been dubbed, but honestly, the real intention of going in was to get the terrorists out. And we did. We took the Taliban out and we had a presence there. Then we got into Iraq and then we basically shipped all the resources and we can't really nation build for crap. Well, we never entirely succeeded in Afghanistan, did we? No, I mean, exactly. there's still a Taliban I mean, presence. No, I know. And they that, live in the mountains and it's exactly. extremely hard to get them. Exactly. I mean, I mean, yeah, it was always an uphill battle. Some people are thinking, okay, this is going to be like Vietnam where, where the North takes over, you know, Taliban takes over, and we have to deal with the consequences politically and um, you know, the added bonus that it's going to, that uh, more terrorists are going to be steeping in Afghanistan. There's actually more Al-Qaeda terrorists now than there were in 2001, 2002. Again, I'm, I'm between a rock and a hard place here. I mean, this was an impossible task. It is too long. We do need to bring everyone home, but, you know, there's still terrorists. There's still a power vacuum. There's still a you know, very weak government there. So, I mean, yeah, we can't nation build, but I honestly believe that we should have kept at least some sort of military operation there in terms of support rather than actual nation building, rather than actual, you know, fighting. We just support them there. Like just special ops or something to take out the terrorist groups there and not the Taliban itself. Well, like, we tried that. We did try to train the Afghan army and they did become right. more competent under our watch, but still they were still poorly organized and just not ready, you know, for extending conflict against terrorists, even after we had trained them. True. I mean, you still need to have some kind of assurance that, that you know, it's not going to be another Iraq where we're going to have to go, like you said, we're going to go back in. You know, Biden advocated as, as Obama's vice president, he advocated for leaving a small amount of special ops or some kind of support there to at least take out the, the Al-Qaeda terrorist groups because the Taliban originally were harboring Al-Qaeda who conducted 9-11 terrorist attacks. Biden has a lot of experience with military one of his sons went to Iraq. I do trust that he considered all options. I do trust that he at least made a decision. Yeah, this is a real no-win situation. And I just hope there's no ISIS scenario where Al-Qaeda rises back up and brings another stream of terrorist attacks. The Johnson Johnson vaccine, as everyone their mother knows now, has been paused. Seven cases of blood clotting issues in women aged 18 to 48 in a pool of 6.57 million people fully vaccinated thus far. And the kicker is that this type of blood clot that was caused by this COVID vaccine, it actually worsened when regular blood clot treatments were administered. So it was a real challenge. And I believe one of the women are dead. But let's put that statistic into context. If you get or have gotten the Johnson Johnson COVID-19 vaccine, you are more likely to get struck by lightning or die from COVID itself than to get blood clots from this vaccine. You know, it's a relatively small chance. And, you know, that's why I'd rather say that there shouldn't be too big of a deal. Of course, it's unfortunate of the poor woman that has passed away, but it is a small amount of cases uh, thus far out of millions of people fully vaccinated. And Anthony Fauci himself said that the investigation will likely only last between days and weeks. You know, it's always best to be safe than sorry, which is why I'm glad that the FDA actually paused it. And it's still ongoing. We don't know, we don't yet know the relationship between those blood clots and the vaccine itself. I mean, for all we know, maybe these women had certain conditions which made them react to the vaccine abnormally. We don't really know, so we need to really wait and find out to see what the connection could be. I mean, logistically, it's not good because it's a it's a nightmare about you know storage and expiration dates. And but this isn't the worst thing ever, so it's good that the FDA paused it so that you can check. It's good that we have the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and we're not Europe. It's not like AstraZeneca where it gets caught up on European Union, UK relations over vaccine manufacturing and you know, that hinders the overall vaccination rollout that basically plunges Europe into another bad COVID cycle. One of the worries I had when I heard this was, oh God, what's going to happen with the confidence in the vaccines? 
what's going to happen with um, hesitation. And anecdotally, that seems really bad. But there was a poll tweeted out by someone on the White House COVID response team, which said that 58% of Americans actually were more confident in the vaccine because the FDA paused the rollout, because the FDA took that step and is going back to figure this out, that it actually helps people's confidence in the vaccine. It actually does reduce hesitancy overall. In the back of my mind, obviously, yes, the vaccine this, you know, this early and only rolls out a year after the virus is discovered. I mean, yes, obviously there are red flags that hunt up in a lot of people's minds. It's only natural. It's still experts. It, it, you know, I don't want to fall into the trap of, okay, this is the death of expertise. We know better than the scientists. We know better than this and that. No, we can't afford to be people like Jim Jordan and Ted Cruz. (laughs) Dr. Fauci has certainly had his fair share of hearings in both houses of Congress lately. And some of these representatives and senators believe that they're more qualified than Fauci in this virus and in the vaccine. And they have these heated debates and arguments. And frankly, it's ridiculous. You know, we need to trust the experts on this one. As much as experts may be wrong, as Tom Nichols points out in his book, The Death of Expertise, they are a necessary component to modern civilization. They are and they're necessary to figure out all these problems that we face. In the fact that, say, Ted Cruz goes around you know, with Rand Paul not wearing a mask, even though the CDC recommends it, it's just plainly ridiculous. It's, it's performative and it's you know, it only makes stuff like this where we're still like under, trying to understand all things about the vaccines, trying to understand all this, these things about COVID. It makes it all worse. TLDR, I'm glad the plug lining issues are not a massive problem. I'm glad we're not Europe. Another reason to hate Ted Cruz. And hopefully Johnson Johnson will be back on the market soon enough. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zero Stock Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero Stock Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero Stock Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>